everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again as um, we just continue to roll in with our big expansion projects. We uh, just finished recording today um, our first week of doing a song for YouTube and for Patreon. Yes, so it's really that close for exclusive Patreon content. Our The room we're in is littered with musical instruments because of the uh the amount of work we've put in over the past few weeks over uh, these cover songs so we hope you guys enjoy those yes so uh in two weeks is when we're going to start doing two a week two weeks two a week yeah (laughs) so um we're gonna have one that just goes up on youtube and then one that's gonna be exclusively for our uh five dollar tier patron members so if you want to um, see the culmination of our hard work and hear an extra song every week, then uh, go be a patron. We are putting all of the um, all of the links to go to our Patreon page in the episode descriptions, as well as I'm going to, I'm sure, be putting out some social media pushes. Just to recommend you guys go check that out. And also by this time, we should have um, episodes coming in early, so... Be on the lookout for that as well. That's part of our $3 a month tier. But if you do the $5, you'll not only get episodes early, but you'll also get that second cover song. So um, we are finally at the point where we can start putting stuff on Patreon. So make sure you go check that out. Yeah. And um, so far, our uh, our YouTube videos have been doing pretty good. Yeah. For not being for not being YouTube uh, people, I think we're doing all right. Yeah, we're kind of exploring this for the very first time, and so, you know. It helps that I put the uh, link to Surrender on my personal Instagram. Yes. Uh, so I hope that, uh, that I helps. Noticed that. Uh, Surrender's probably our, our best one so far, so if this is your first episode and you're uh, trying to see our covers, I mean, Surrender just came out. Uh, from our perspective, obviously there's there's more covers out there um, by this point, by the time you're listening, but um, that's definitely a non-intense cover for the casual listener, so definitely yeah, go check that one out. Definitely more for our pop fans. So, and that's and it's another good thing about kind of trying to remain fairly diverse with the styles of music we're doing and the timelines is just, again, to um, at least have something for everyone every week, to right. where it's not just for you know, for the rock and roll fans or the heavy metal fans mm-hmm. or the pop fans. That there's, you know, every week there's a chance that you might uh, see something that you like. Yeah. So um, that's the reason why there's certain big artists that we haven't gotten to yet. We're just, we're spacing ourselves. We're pacing ourselves. For example, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. We hear you guys. We've had multiple requests for Jimi Hendrix. It's on the way, I'm sure. Lucas has a master plan. I've already got like the next two months planned out and figured so So. um we've got a lot of really cool artists that we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. uh, in the upcoming future Mm -hmm. and it's just literally just it'll strike me i'm just like ooh, what if we do this and then i do the math and going okay when was the last time we did an artist like this Mm -hmm. and i'll kind of gauge it on that and if it's you know oh it's been a while since we've gone into this area then Mm -hmm. i'll be like okay let's do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um but we are listening, so just be patient, and I'm sh- I know that your favorite artist will make it on here at some point. 
and go check out our social media. Did we talk about social media? Not yet. So go check out our social media at Good Music Podcast on Instagram. And then we also have the Facebook page. The Facebook page? The face. The fake book. Oh my goodness. The Facebook page. It is a real Facebook account. <laughs> Uh, what, what's it called? What's the it's just the Good Music Podcast. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do Facebook, so I don't know. I don't think you have to have, like, tags. It's just, it just is what it is. So go check those out. Get in on the discussion. Um, we make regular posts on the Instagram, at least I know, mm-hmm. and, and stories to, uh, respond to. Um, so. And in case you guys missed it, we have been doing this pod, or at least I have been doing this podcast for over a year now. So we have a lot of episodes in our back catalog. So, especially if you are new to listening to us, please make sure that you go check out all of our old episodes as well. If you go far back enough, you'll hear a different co-host, which I'm sure will be strange for your, yeah. you new listeners. Strange um, for me. Yeah. And then <laughs> if you go really far back, you'll hear just me mm-hmm. doing it. There's a, there's only, I think, two episodes out that are in that format. Uh, and one of them is the volume one to the volume two that we're doing in this episode. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but before we jump into that, there is a uh, piece of news that I wanted to um, bestow upon I you. I was wondering if there Now, this was, this was announced okay. a little bit ago, and we also have to take this announcement with a grain of salt because we've been burned by this before. Okay. But it has been confirmed that Metallica is working on material for a new studio album. They said that they were going to release one in 2019, didn't they? Uh, I don't... They're going to release another cover album, uh, and then that never happened. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that was said by them. Okay. I think that that was rumored, mm. just because we had been seeing a lot of covers that weren't ever officially recorded on their live sets. But I don't think that the band ever came out and said, "Yes, we're making a covers album." I think everyone just assumed that they were. Mm. But and it could be that that's what this material is. Maybe. So, uh, but I mean, you know, we have been fooled before with the the long delay in between Death Magnetic and Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Oh my goodness, yeah, eight years for yeah. that. I mean, there was about four I mean, of those years. I would say about half that time we weren't expecting a new album because they were out touring, but then after that they kept teasing us with new songs and saying that we're going back in the studio, and then they'd get distracted and go do something else. Yeah, like, and then go make an album with Lou Reed. And... Go do Through the Never movie, and yeah. then start the Orion Festival. Yeah. And just every time that you think that they're going to start making the record, they just get they got sidetracked. So, who knows if this will happen again. I think right. that... Um, the hopefully, court... hopefully Kirk Hammond doesn't lose his phone this time with all the rest of them. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that's really <laughs> unfortunate, you know, because he is, I mean, everybody gives James, James Hetfield credit for writing a bunch of riffs, which he writes a lot of their stuff, mm-hmm. but I mean, Kirk Hammond is an important creative uh, force in that band too. So. I think they say that at any point they have like 500 or 600 riffs at a time <laughs> to use, just because they'll like, they'll record like 10 seconds of just, a, ooh, there's a cool riff, let me get this on my phone real quick. Right. You know, it's not saying they've got that many songs, because, you know, yeah. a, a song could have eight or ten riffs in yeah. it. So that's not saying that they have 500 songs. But still, that's quite a few riffs to pull right. from. And, you know, who knows how many get tossed or how many get left over from mm-hmm. previous to where they're just like, well, we're not going to use it on this album, but let's hold on to it. Yeah, I remember saying it was like, it was Skillet, or maybe it was Avenged Sevenfold, who was saying they wrote 80 songs for their most recent album. 
but only like 10 made it. Mm-hmm. And so the 70 songs that just weren't good enough didn't make it to the album. There are artists that are like that, that they'll just literally, and you know, we talked about Prince, he, he would record a song a day. Yeah. And just, you know, it's only the best of the best, in his opinion, that would make it. Or if he was had special plans to save it for a particular project. Um, you know, there are a lot of unfinished songs out there. I feel like that that's not incredibly abnormal for artists to have a large amount of songs and then have to do, you know, not all of them make it to the official recording process. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of songs that in rehearsals and sound checks that bands will jam out and, you know, have the, at least the skeleton of, and then for whatever reason, it doesn't get advanced further. Yeah. I don't think that these bands have all of these songs like recorded, produced, mixed, and finished just laying in a vault somewhere. Yeah, unlike Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Which it literally is a vault. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's in those rare times when, you know, they go back and, you know, release. There's whole albums of just vault material from different eras. Mm-hmm. Um, Queen did that. And that ended up becoming the posthumous album after Freddie Mercury died. Was they kind of cleaned their vault out and, you know, just kind of put out a bunch of stuff that hadn't been recorded yet or released yet. So, uh, we'll see what Metallica decides to do if uh, they actually mean that they're going to record a new album. I mean, Quarantine has, I'm sure, put a lot of artists in a place to where they can do nothing but create. Yeah. A lot of people that have always had the excuse of, oh, we're touring, I'm doing all this and that. Mm -hmm. All their plans got canceled, so now it's just like, well, I guess I gotta make this new album now. Oh, the problem with that is now you can't road test your material. That's true also. Which means we might get more material, but it may not be as high of quality. Who knows? I guess it depends on the style of the artist. We'll see. If they work better that way, or if there's other people that just, you know, they live for the studio and touring is just a byproduct. Because we'll there, there are bands like that. There are a lot of bands like that. So, um, all right. I think we can go ahead and yeah. officially get started. Uh, with our part two. A, our second volume two. No, it's our third. It's our third volume two. Wait. Wait, no. Hold it's on. It's our second. It is our second one. Because yes, our yes. first one was Pink Floyd volume two. It just feels like it was so long ago that we did that one. Right. You and know. now we're going to be on a more consistent schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to let you guys in on a little... Uh, clue on how to know when a volume two is coming it'll be the uh, first episode of every month so the first monday of every month that's going to be kind of a set thing is that we're always going to do a volume two and eventually it'll turn into volumes three and four depending on how deep an artist catalog is mm-hmm. so and this month is going to be also marking the beginning of a new season like whenever i order the episodes it's like you know it's Season what, episode what. Um, starting with this episode, this is going to be season three. Because wow. this is going to be kind of the beginning of a new structure. Where it's going to be a lot more intentionality on how I'm picking episodes. And um, specifically being that every first episode of the month is going to be a return to an old uh, artist. And then the last episode of every month is going to be an episode in our new spinoff series that we are getting very close to recording. Oh my goodness, yes. So for you guys, it'll be just a couple more weeks before you get to uh, hear this new little project we've been working on. Right, and the the covers are going to be, we're going to 
be looking back at old artists. We're not going to be covering ancient, you know, yeah, music well, from whatever. Don't part don't of the world don't spoil it for them yet. But we won't. We won't. We'll 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 talk more in detail about that when we get closer. Right. But so. yeah, the cover song won't stop. Um, this will be a chance for us to go backwards on old episodes and cover a lot of songs that I wish we could have covered had mm-hmm. we been doing this the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. Um, I had something to say, and then I forgot it. <laughs> hmm. Well, it might come to me. So. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, say who we're talking about. I we're, mean, obviously you guys see it in the episode right. title, but it's still fun to kind of just have this air of theatricality. Yeah. So we are doing a volume two of our most successful episode of all time by a long shot. And that is Coldplay. Coldplay. The episode that really built this entire podcast. Yeah. I mean, I remember listening to your first part of Coldplay Mm -hmm. and talking about how, oh, Metallica had seven listens and Queen had 47 listens or something. And now Coldplay's at what, like 4,000? Oh, it's and it was the it's, third one. It's way past that. Let me <laughs> let me check the numbers again. Oh my goodness! Um, it is at seventy two hundred. Oh wow! Okay, that's that is mm-hmm. an insane number of people. Yeah. So you guys must love Coldplay. Yeah, I mean Coldplay <laughs> is is one of the biggest bands of all time. On top of that, they're one of the biggest modern bands of all time. So it's not like just a band that you know people want to know of looking backwards like this is a band that's still out a new album came out last year which i really like although you mentioned they were probably done i know that's because at the time i didn't know that they were working on this new album actually now it it came out about i guess four months after four or five months after that episode came out which i mean i guess makes sense now why people were yeah. We're really going after this episode because they were relevant right now at that time. And I, because I didn't even know the new album came out mm. until like three or four months afterward when my sister was just like, So what do you think of the new Coldplay album? And I was like, What new Coldplay album? <laughs> she was just like, Uh, this one? Do we have any uh, new Coldplay yes. here? Oh, yes, we do. Cool. And that was very intentional. Is it the fifth song? Uh, no. <sighs> We'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it just, you know, it made sense for us to return back to mm-hmm. something that you guys obviously very, very much loved. Yes. Um, a lot of people have tuned into this, ep- to the first episode. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is this is a case of not only give the people what they want, but give myself what I want because I love Coldplay. Yeah. You know. I'll, that surprised me. I know. Be- I think that Coldplay is a band that I probably wouldn't have gotten into had they not been one of the key ingredients in my first step into listening to music. They mm-hmm. were there as like one of the first three bands that I got into. Um, just a little bit of a backstory. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but up until I was about 14, I like barely listened to any music. And that's just like mm-hmm. crazy to think about. Yeah. Because I, that's like just about all I do now. I know, me too, yeah. Um, what I did listen to on repeat was the Star Wars soundtrack. Yep. Um, I listened to my dad's band for him, mm-hmm. just because it's just what I knew. And then here and there, there were artists that I would get into um, moods in. 
like um, Elvis was I listened to a little bit whenever I was really little. And then when I was like 9 or 10, I got into the Beatles. And then when I was like 12, I went into a bit of a Michael Jackson phase. But like they never lasted very long. Mm-hmm. And I just always returned back to what I knew. And so my dad, who is also a musician, hence, you know, I said he was in a band. Um, he was saw that I didn't listen to really any good music. And was just like, here, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to forbid you to listen to what you normally listen to. I'm going to give you this iPod that has all of my favorite music on it. I just want you to try it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if after a while you want to go back to what you're listening to, fine. But you need an opportunity to ex- listen to the world. Oh, that's my phone. Or that's my watch. Let me <laughs> let me turn that off real quick. Yeah, before that happens again. Yeah, awkward. This was such an inspiring story and your watch had to... I know. <laughs> okay, I fixed it. We're going to keep that in. <laughs> so he he gave me his iPod just full of everything. Um, A lot of the first bands that I fell in love with were on this. And there were three in particular that I gravitated to towards first. Um, And I've done episodes on all three of these already. And that was Journey, Genesis, and Coldplay. Those are like the three that I went to first. Okay. And so... Some of those are better than others. mm, I disagree. Yeah, well, They, They are all very high... (laughs) <laughs> in regard to me. We can have a debate over Journey when we get to, uh, get oh, to Journey. Oh, we will do Journey Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll like it. Okay. Um, I don't know about that, but okay. Oh, man, you're making me sad right now. Those of you that do like Journey or need to know more about Journey, we have a Journey episode. Go check it out. Speaking of which, before we get too far, this is Coldplay Volume 2, so if you haven't listened to Volume 1, Ooh, yes. You need to go do that. That's right. So so you'll understand how episodes flow, so we don't really need to explain as much. Mm-hmm. And you'll understand history, so we don't need to talk about that. So Yeah, we're not we're not as much gonna be like detailing their career and you know, talking we're not gonna be talking to you guys like you don't know who Coldplay is. Right. So if you need that episode, if you're a bit uh new to Coldplay, then you need to go check out the first one first. Go add your one listen to the the huge number that's already yeah. there. <laughs> so, um, anyway, gave you the... I, yeah, I so Coldplay was one of those first bands, and particularly mm. it was the album A Rush of Blood to the Head. That mm. is a special album in my heart. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite albums ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I would probably put it in my top ten. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Parachutes and X and Y as well, because those were the only three albums of theirs out at the time. X and Y, I think, was pretty new whenever I started listening to Coldplay. And so um, I I fell in love with two of those albums. X and Y has never been one of my favorites. We actually don't have any from that album on this episode. There are good songs. I'm about half and half on it. Half the songs, I would say, are really, really good. Is that the first half is is amazing? No, it's not even, like, divided into, like, halves of the albums. It's like, Hmm. I'll get, like... A bad song, then a good song, then two bad songs and two good songs. It's just it's kind of peppered through, so I can't like just like say, oh, I'm going to turn the album off. I mean, t- typical pop album, right? Yeah, 
when you're built on on melody and sing along, it's kind of well. I have l- I actually learned through uh, watching their official documentary that's on Amazon, which was an incredible watch. I now understand why that album is not as good as the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's because there was a lot of friction in the band at the time. Oh. And that they really struggled making that album. So they're not like a Fleetwood Mac type. No. Yeah, okay. Well, so, interesting. Um, you didn't mention that on the first episode. It's because I didn't know that. This was new information in my new round of research that I... Whenever I do volume two, is I don't just not research. Okay. I just, I dig deeper. I, you know, I... I try and get as much as I can the first time around, but there's only so much I can do. Whenever I do volume two, it's just like, let's really investigate. Let's let's dig deep. And I hadn't watched that documentary, mm-hmm. which also, the first time, I, my research was not very intense. Mm-hmm. Well, because you kind of knew. Yeah, and also just I hadn't set my standards of what I wanted to do. It wasn't until probably, like, by the time I, we were doing, like, um, the police and those about 12 episodes in that I really started taking the research seriously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, um, Coldplay. So just a refresher, it's been the same four guys the whole time. Right. That's another incredible thing. There's never been a lineup change. Not even like in, in the, the early days, not even in the early days, like in the club days, like it's always been the same four guys. That's pretty cool. Like they all knew each other from meeting in college, first year of college. And uh, the crazy thing with this documentary is that even before they formed a band, they had a guy that just walked around and filmed everything. Wow. And it's the it's the same guy that's with us, one of their best friends. And he documented literally every single moment of their career. That's pretty cool. He was with them at every show, every backstage, every band meeting. And he's just like a member of the band that just like chronicles their journey. And so that's what that documentary was. It was the culmination of all of that recording. It's crazy. It's kind of like how the sound man's part of the band. Mm-hmm. But like now we got a cameraman. Yeah, they're archivists. Does he, does he uh, direct the music videos and everything? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to... Wasted talent. I mean, maybe maybe he has done some music videos. I don't know for sure. But I do know that they have had, like, you know, normal music video guys. But who knows if they let him do one or not. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was just it was the same four guys, just to refresh. That's Chris Martin, who's the singer and the mm-hmm. keyboard player. And really the main creative force. I mean, I always figured that he was, but now seeing really how much he drives that band and mm-hmm. at first my old my thought was always that you know the other guys especially in the later years that they were not happy with his direction but i found that it's just you know it's exactly how they want it they're mm-hmm. not as much about being in the spotlight or having as much creative control they i've found are really um really in good accordance with what Chris Martin brings at the table, the ideas. And there was just something that Chris Martin kept saying, it kept popping out throughout that documentary, was just about him always writing to himself, never give up. Mm -hmm. And just the creative power behind him, no matter what happened in his life, Mm -hmm. all, all the ups, all the downs, like, he never stopped writing music. He's one of those guys that I'm sure has, like, hundreds, maybe thousands of 
half-finished songs just floating around somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he would just literally, anytime he had free time, he'd either be writing lyrics down, or he would get his piano out and just, like, try chord progressions with some of the lyrics he's written down and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. So you've got Chris Martin leading the band, but you've also got um, Johnny Buckland on lead guitar, who I've really come to admire as a guitar player throughout this new round of listening and researching. Got uh, Guy Berryman, which is very close to your your dad's name, Guy Mayberry. <laughs> it's got the guy and the berry. Yeah. Um, he's their bass player. And then you've got Will Champion on the drums. Mm. And it's just, it's been those guys. So you mentioned in uh, part one that it seemed in the later years that it's just the Chris Martin show. Would you say that? I don't, I don't agree now. And seeing the behind the scenes, um, making some of those later albums... And seeing how how close they are now, like it doesn't feel like I always thought they were on the verge of breaking up in these later albums because it was just like I don't know where the where's the contribution from the other guys. But what I didn't realize was that even the electronic versions of what they're doing, they're doing it, and they're the ones that are pushing for it to sound that way. Mm-hmm. It's not just Chris Martin going in the studio, which I assumed he was doing, and just kind of like. Telling, telling the band, yeah, I don't want you to play real drums. We're just going to use a drum machine to do your part for you. Mm-hmm. I just That's what I always was my outside view of, and I now realize that that's not the case. And also, at that time, I hadn't heard the new album. It wasn't out at the time I recorded, but mm-hmm. hearing this new album, Everyday Life, mm-hmm. reaffirms that the band is better than they've ever been, and the band is involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does help that it sounds more human in this new record. And you can just, you can hear a lot more of the drums, the guitar, the bass. It's not as uh, synthetic, which I've come to appreciate the synthetic albums a lot more. But it definitely feels like the Coldplay that I know and love is kind of back. And this album has made me fall in love with the band again. And it's actually made me love more the albums that I originally did not like. I remember, I, I know I bashed Ghost Stories and Head Full of Dreams on on the previous episode. Mm-hmm. I actually like those albums quite a bit more now. Mm. Uh, particularly A Head Full of Dreams. Mm-hmm. There are some songs on there I previously were not was not a fan of. that now I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm going to put this on. I'm going to bop along. Mm-hmm. And even ghost stories, I pre, I now understand why the album is the way it is. I, I, I get what its point is. Even if some of the songs still aren't connecting with me yet, I have a more of an understanding with mm-hmm. it now. And that's a cool place to be. That even bands that you really love, you kind of are discovering new layers and levels to them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that happened with preparing for this episode, which is great. Yeah. So Coldplay is a very personal band to me. I've seen them. They were one of my first concerts when um, they went on the Viva La Vida tour. They came to Oklahoma City. Me, my dad, and my sister went to that. I told the story in that episode about them doing the little mini set, like about five rows behind me. I wish I still had that picture that my dad took of them up there, and you can see my head just to give a perspective of how close they are. It's not Zoom or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really cool when you get into a band 
and they're kind of just getting started. Right. I don't have many other bands that I have that experience with mm-hmm. because a lot of the bands that I love are kind of, you know, their prime was in the past. Right. You know, obviously I'll never be at a point to where, you know, with Queen, like, oh man, right. Queen is the next big thing. I can't right. wait for the new album. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's more about just going, discovering what they already did. Right. Um, Muse was kind of like that with me where, you know, it was a band that was just on the edge of being at their best point whenever I started getting into them. Um, Coldplay was, like I said, X and Y was the newest album at that time. And so I got to um, anticipate Viva La Vida, which is really close to being my favorite next to Rush of Blood to the Head. Viva La Vida is a great album. Viva La Vida is a great album. And it's a great song. Yes. There have been many parodies and covers of it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in, in grade school, we'd always seen the Minecraft parody. <laughs> what is the Minecraft parody? Oh, it's it's like Fallen Kingdom. And so it's basically the same idea. Uh-huh. But it's just Minecraft lyrics, you know? Huh. Um, Do you remember any of them? Oh, he changes St. Peter to Herobrine, and, and it's just... You know, looking back on it, it's just the cringiest thing. Yeah. But like, we all we all knew the words. And we knew the words to both versions. Hmm. Right? It's like, I, I knew the words to the parody and to the actual Coldplay version. Yeah. And so, obviously, that was my first experience with Coldplay. Okay. But um, I never really dug past that because I thought they were kind of... I, I honestly thought they were like a one-hit wonder. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Give, me, give me a little more... Um perspective because we obviously you were not the co-host right on the first episode so i want to know kind of what what did you know about coldplay what were your we don't have to get to where what you think now because we'll save that for final thoughts right but let tell me where your baseline was before um before listening to these songs and i'm sure you went back and listened to the songs from the first episode mm-hmm. i did um viva la vida obviously there was like um there was one other song I don't think it was on the first episode, but it was like the that one. Oh yeah, we haven't done it's clocks. Clocks. It's got right. that that famous. Yes, I know how to play that on piano. Yeah, that was, um, we uh, we have not done that song yet. And then there was there was the Tim Hawkins version of that where it was Bitsy Bitsy Spider. <laughs> Tim Hawkins. No, I think I know which one you're talking yeah. about. I listened to Tim Hawkins all yes. the time when I was a kid. Yes, and that was a... another that was another thing that that made it onto my little iPod Shuffle that yeah. contained like a hundred songs, and then that's how I discovered Even Flow. Yep, and Welcome to the Jungle. Yep, I and... know I had that exact <laughs> album you're talking about. <laughs> um, so I knew that song existed, but like I hadn't heard any of the other songs during through those parodies, so I thought they were just kind of obscure thong- thongs. Oh boy, obscure songs that he liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So I didn't think they were anything more than Viva La Vida because everybody knew Viva La Vida, but I wouldn't hear anything else. So I didn't think to dig deeper into them. Um, and then I, obviously um, I always knew of Gwyneth Paltrow as uh, Pepper Potts and not Chris Martin's wife. Yep. But it was notable enough to mention that in, in part oh, one. Oh, yeah. So um, that, was, that was a big-time celebrity coupling. Right. And then they decided to do an unconscious coupling. Right. <laughs> 
or phrasing conscious of uncoupling. Conscious uncoupling. That's what it was. Yeah, or whatever. Conscious uncoupling. Yeah, that was one of the weirdest things I remember when I heard that. I was just like, why are you phrasing it like that? Yeah. But, um, so anyway, I didn't understand that they were a big deal. I knew a lot of people who were very into them. Um, one of my greatest friends from grade school, his dad was super into Coldplay. He he's not also, one of your best friends. He's one of your greatest friends. He's great. Yeah. Well, he is, he is great. He's, he's, he's got a lot of talent. In he the, excelled in the, in the, well at being my in friend. In the brain department, he's got a, he's got a lot going on. Um, and so, uh, you know, homework help was a thing there. But, um, no, his dad was super into Coldplay. He was super into Coldplay. Um, oddly enough, my English teacher would talk about Coldplay just randomly. Mm -hmm. So I thought they were like a cult following band. Oh, no. But no. No, they're pretty big. They, so. are, they, they are the only band that I could say is bigger than like Foo Fighters or Muse. Like they are the biggest band of the last 25 years. I guess it's 20 years now because... Right. Um, I mean, they've been together since, like, 96, 97. That's crazy. First album came out in 2000. Um, wow, so they met the new millennium, right? Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. They were part of the, the changing of the guard. The, the real rise of alternative music. Of, I guess, indie rock and alternative rock. I mean, alternative rock in, in the 90s and 2000s is re really different sounding. You talk about 90s alt-rock, and that's, you know, more like Jane's Addiction mm -hmm. and um, Dave Matthews and kind of more that stuff. And then, like, 2000s is going to be more like Interpol and Modest Mouse and Muse, The Killers. It's very different sounding. It's yeah. got kind of, it's a mix of, like, old, nostalgic Beatles-esque uh, melodies and structures with a bit of garage rock and it's the exact thing that you would imagine a hip college guy listening to yeah it sounds like if you gave um beatles a modern synthesizer and then they did weed yeah the song did weed like not, i love not the, how not you the phrase that they did weed <laughs> i don't know well, drug lingo i don't think that's how they say it they smoked hot. I don't know. They the, the literal songs took the drug of marijuana. Well, I would say the ones in this episode. And it's did. just they kind of slowed down and they kind of just became feel good. Maybe not lyrically, but but musically. Yeah, because that's definitely a characteristic of the Coldplay sound. It's um, it's meant to be that mix of melancholy mm -hmm. and um, and joy. It's kind of you're you're dealing with either, and sometimes both are happening at the same time. Right, and and I, that was a big thing I noticed when sound engineering wise, listening to these songs because they're able to in a very different way. We just talked about dream theater and images and words. They're in a very different way able to marry the I can hear everything, but it's kind of a washy sound, mm -hmm. and it's even more to the extreme of washy. Yeah. Um, but the fact that everything's now slowed down, they can get away with that. Mm -hmm. um, and it does, kind of the washy feel gives way to more grandiose emotions. Yes. More abstract emotions. Like mm -hmm. I have an abstract positive or negative emotion and I can't determine if it's anger or sadness or joy or contentment or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Everything about Coldplay is emotion based, right? Because of the fact that all the musicians are not like, except I would say, I won't say that they're not incredible musicians because they are, but the music right. doesn't call for complex instrumental. I would say the most complex it gets is what Chris Martin will do on the piano because he's a brilliant pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a saxophone in one of these songs. I would yes. say that. But that's that not them. Good. That's outside musicians coming oh, in. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like what they do, okay, the guitar is never in your face. It's pretty rare if you get a guitar solo. Um, if you do, it's not like, you know, it's not going to be like a Jimmy Page where it, you know, no. is doing all these crazy things. No. The bass is never doing more than it needs to. The drums are never doing more the than they need to. The bass plays very Peter Gabriel bass lines, I would say. Maybe even simpler. Oh, but way, it, way simpler. Way simpler, but, but repeating. Yes. Just, it's very much, you know, the bass is meant to just propel the song forward. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to take up any space. I can only recall a couple Coldplay songs where the bass line is the, the hook of the song. Something like Sparks or Magic. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's very simple lead bass. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to... Here, again, I would say the exception being the piano, because that's kind of a place where if anyone's going to show off, that's where it's going to be. But, and it, and it makes sense because, you know, the piano is very pretty, even when it's being played complex, you know, it's a very pretty sounding instrument. And, you know, you're not going to have those. So what they do instead is just picking the right melodic components to convey emotion the mm-hmm. guitar is is fully bent on putting the emotion of the song forward. The bass, the drums, everything is a sum is greater than the parts. Yes. Now, yeah. again, That's I just I don't want that to translate as I don't think that they're great musicians. I have no idea what they're truly capable of if you were to like let them unleash. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what the extent of their abilities are because I do firmly believe that they are way better musicians than what it appears to be in the music they are sometimes the simpler stuff is just more fun and it just sounds Mm -hmm. better yeah less they are definitely a less is more band yeah yeah that's true and it makes the few times that they do put more in it stands out when Dream Theater puts more in, it's expected. And it's actually more surprising when they take the less is more approach. Yeah. That stands out to go, oh, this right. is nice. They're scaling it back. Mm-hmm. With Coldplay, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Coldplay, they're, they're one of my favorites. They were very instrumental in the shaping of my musical taste. I believe that I've... I like a lot more of the pop-leaning stuff, thanks to them. Um, They definitely also got my foot into liking a certain branch of modern music. And I just think they're one of those bands that, if you love music and you aren't just obsessed with music that's technically played... It's like, I don't see how you can not like Coldplay. Because mm-hmm. what they're doing melodically and musically is so beautiful and so um, so purposeful that 
they're one of the best melody writers of the modern... I would say they're the best melody writers of the modern day. Hmm. The fact that Chris... Chris Martin has written, and so many Coldplay songs have so many iconic vocal lines that are no words. It's just like la la's and ah ah's oh, and oh's. Yeah, <laughs> they have like just about every great Coldplay song has a moment like that, where even if just for a moment, the it doesn't turn into it doesn't have any words. It's just you know you think of the the big line and fix you. The, the lyric there doesn't make sense. Tears streaming down your face and I... And I what? The, the sentence is incomplete, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because that that vocal line is so powerful and so effective. So, um, we'll, uh, we'll examine what songs in this set do that whenever we get there. So, okay. Is there anything else you wanted to talk I'm about? I'm ready to talk about the songs. I think everybody's ready to listen to what we have to say about them. Yeah. So let's go to that. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs we picked for this episode. So stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So it's your turn. It is. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Coldplay. Yeah, we and did. Lucas's changes in opinions about them since uh, Volume 1. And now it's time to get into our six songs for this episode. So, Lucas, for the people who should have listened to Part 1 but did not, let's pretend there are some of them. Uh, because, And you know who you are. Um, <laughs> explain to them what we mean by six songs. I'm going to make this real simple for you sinners that are disobeying <laughs> us. Um, this is the part of the episode where we talk about songs as a way to concretely talk about the band. Um, as well as also, we uh, are just, it's an opportunity for those of you guys to uh, listen to the songs. And... In this instance, with Volume 2, we're not structuring them in a way as of this is your first step. Uh, we are definitely digging deeper. A lot of the songs on this set are definitely more on the obscure side. Um, this is a chance for us to really kind of look at a different side of Coldplay that we didn't see for those of you that listened to the first episode. So, um, if you want a good first step on what are the essential songs to listen to... Um, go listen to the ones on Volume 1. In this one, we're definitely getting more of their experimental side. And just some songs mm -hmm. that I just really love that I feel like need to be talked about more. Mm -hmm. um, in future episodes, we're going to like look at their career piece by piece. And when we do that, we're going to kind of, again, start talking about some classic essential Coldplay songs. But they're going to be mixed in with deeper cuts from that era as well. So, um, 
yeah. And also, the, the songs are picked in a way to where they're structured, that they have an emotional flow from start to finish. So um, there's, it's not just me picking a random selection of songs. I, I try and craft a meaningful set list that should hopefully take you on an emotional journey. And with a band like Coldplay that is very emotion-driven, um, I feel like that um, this set should be even more powerful. Mm-hmm. So um, to check out the songs, there's a link in the description of the episode to a Spotify playlist. Please go listen to them, especially if um, you haven't heard these songs before. If you're maybe more of a casual Coldplay fan where, you know, we maybe say a lot of things that you already knew in the first episode, but this is your chance, this episode, to dig deeper. It's the whole point of it. Um, then you go check them out. So let's go ahead and get started with our first song. Politic. Yes. With a K. Yeah. Is really. there a reason for that? I uh, just think because it looks cool. Okay. <laughs> So, um, right off the bat, I wanted to um, immediately set the tone for the kinds of songs that we're going to be listening to. Mm-hmm. There is a theme mm-hmm. as far as the the emotion of the songs that we're listening to. Mm-hmm. This is definitely on, uh, the songs on this list are on their darker side, their more melancholic side. We're not using as much of their bright songs, really not any of them. These are all grittier, darker, sadder, and right from the get-go on this song. You definitely, if if all you know of Coldplay is the big, bright, flowery pop songs, then hopefully that this is a a instant uh, alert that we're looking at a different side of the band, a side that maybe mm-hmm. you didn't know about, and I'm sure probably you didn't know about. Um, I mean, I didn't know about any side of them so yeah (laughs) uh i i actually kind of thought they were a more sad band just kind of knowing that that viva la vida was like their big song at the time and it sounded kind of uppity you know Mm -hmm. i was like maybe this is such a big deal because their other stuff isn't as no i mean yes they have had sad songs like fix you was a huge song for them and that's a pretty uh Mm -hmm. downer song um, even though it has an uplifting message, it's definitely a somber song. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you look at their big songs like Clocks, that's a big, bright, jittery pop song. Even though, yes, they inject that sad element in there, it's, you know, that piano line is very um, upbeat. Songs like In My Place and um, and Adventure of a Lifetime, a lot of stuff off of Head Full of Dreams is very bright and colorful uh stuff like paradise and every teardrop is a waterfall and um yellow that's a big bright pop song Mm -hmm. so the ones that i feel like are the biggest ones that just the casual listener will be familiar with for the most part are you know nice songs and even the sad songs that are really big are not dark songs Mm-hmm. They're still very bright and beautiful, even though they're sad. Like "Fix You," there's nothing dark about that song. I see what you mean now. Uh, the scientist, I would say, is their other really big sad song. Um, that's not dark at all. With this song, "Politics," starting off, not only is it somber, but the like the chords that they're using, it's very foreboding and ominous sounding. Yeah, and the opening line 
look at Earth from outer space. Mm-hmm. It kind of, in a, in a very different way from Jane's addiction, he sounds a little insane. Yeah. He sounds detached. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they do a really good job of... It, it sounds like he's in outer space at that point. The, pian- the, the tone on the piano... Right, and and we see the first big instance of the effects return as far as reverb changing and being automated over time, mm-hmm. which we'll get to more of that as this song progresses. I'm very interested um, to to get your perspective on what's going on production, right? Because I'm because that's something on everything. Because that's something I don't pay attention to as much. I didn't so. pick up on everything, but but it's very clear in especially as we get to the fourth and fifth songs mm-hmm. that they're doing. A lot of automation as far as reverb. Now, this one, not so much, um, but you can tell there's some heavy reverb when the instrument's cut out and we first start that opening line, Mm -hmm. that the instruments aren't completely silent. They kind of hang on for a little bit. So, um, and it does feel like there's a wide open space and he's in outer space. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this is off of the second album, Rush of Blood to the Head. Okay. So... Uh, and this is that. This is the first song off that album, which I think is such a cool way to start the album. Right, which is big open chords, uh-huh. and... especially because you know a lot of the rest of the album is is very bright. Mm-hmm. It's cool to kind of start the album with something that's very off kilter, because mm-hmm. uh, the second song on that album is "In My Place," mm-hmm. which is a very big bright song. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna, if you guys want to make a game out of this, you can. Uh, take a drink every time I say bright in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then also you, I think it's also very interesting in the scope of their catalog. You look at the first album, Parachutes. Yeah. Parachutes is not a very dark album at all. I would say the only time it really gets dark is on the song Spies, which is some a song that I definitely could have put on this set because it's a really great underrated song. Um, but the rest of it is very acoustic guitar driven, bright guitar. And there we go again. Um, the the songs are very uh, much just about love and relationships. There's not really any social commentary songs on the album. It's mm-hmm. very typical of a of a first record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very simple. And then I can just imagine like if because they got big really quickly off that first album. Because Yellow was a huge hit. You know, they won Best New Artist. Um, you know, they were they were immediately being hailed as the next big thing. And everyone was pretty anxious to see wh- how they would follow that album up. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, to turn on the album and have Politic be the first thing that they hear, mm-hmm. I think is really fascinating and really risky. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's brilliant. And it paid off, I mean... Mm-hmm. They're still around today. They're still making music. Yep. Um, so that's very interesting. So I'm, so I'm curious. You talked about the first album being very lyrically simple. Yeah. What's this song about? This song is just about looking at the state of the world and just about how everyone just kind of goes along with the flow. Uh, how he's, you know, the way he's requesting that you need to open up your eyes because mm-hmm. he's seeing everything from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, he's almost like he's this this transient being from another 
dimension, looking at the earth as a whole, maybe almost like a godlike figure, mm -hmm. and seeing the big picture. Everyone else is caught up in the bustle. He sees where everyone has their place. And he's saying if we can look past what's right in front of us and see everything, um, we'll see that um, in the end, love is the most important thing. We forget to love each other. We forget to um, to look out for each other. We're so concerned with ourselves and our routine and our day-to-day -day bustle. And it's kind of, you know, a bit more, it's still love because, again, that's at the end, well, give me love over this. Mm -hmm. You know, this mundane existence that everyone lives we had love the world would be a better place it's it takes a it's a way of that very simple cliche theme but putting it in a really interesting context hmm. to where it's almost like if we don't get love in our lives you know the world could spiral out of control and destroy itself right which i think is even more appropriate today mm -hmm. than it was in 2002 which is i think when that album came out right it's almost a predictory mm-hmm which the best fans always do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, those early thrash metal bands didn't predict nuclear war correctly. So <laughs> you know, that, we could be we could be having a very different Who knows? conversation. It could, it could still be around the corner. They could have just been really far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those, the, it was the Cold War. Right. The Cold right. War ended. The 80s. It's was, no, it's no coincidence that thrash lost its relevancy when the Cold War ended. Yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about nuclear war and all of that when there's no imminent threat. Anyway, um, so let's let's talk about what's going on instrumentally. Okay, in this song, so the drums actually yeah. never really get into a beat until the end of the song. It's just literally just ba 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 ba. It made it to where it was the, one of the first songs I ever learned on drums because <laughs> I could literally just like hit it. And didn't have mm -hmm. to worry about like my hands and feet doing different things until again the end. But even so, it's still a very simple beat, but it's absolutely effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, to an extent, he's still doing that at the very end, even though he is doing uh, kick, snare, and a rhythm. It's boom, boom, tsh, boom, boom, boom. Tsh. So it's still those quarter note or eighth note or whatever it is mm -hmm. um, rhythms that still keeps the kind of driving march going. Yeah, those are eighth notes. I had to think about it, it for is. a second. Yeah, like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, the guitars so. are pretty much, and again, until the end, they're just right. I mean, just the whole point is this: is it's just almost like just drilling into your brain, mm -hmm. and uh, it's the piano that really gets to do a lot of the fun stuff. So, what kind of chords are we looking at during the verses? Because it doesn't feel like maybe it would be exactly like. In the minor key, there feels like there's something else going on. So I wanted to pick your Could music. Be diminished. Theory. I didn't think to listen I've because always, the, I've, the way it's mixed, it's not, you're not supposed to hear what chord it is. You're just supposed to hear the mood. Mm -hmm. It just it feels like the chords are not just your typical minor chords. It feels like See what you mean, it yeah. feels like there's something he's throwing in a little bit extra there to just add to that spooky feeling. It could be a minor seven. Or a minor minor seven or mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, I didn't I didn't think to look at that. But I'm sure there's chord sheets all over the oh. internet if oh, somebody yeah. was curious. But um, it sounds like maybe a minor seven or like a diminished to me. 
Mm-hmm. Or even a diminished seven. You never know. I mean, <laughs> Some, but, probably uh, something with a seven in there. Sounds like there's a seven or a six. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So um, yeah, we make the change when yeah. we, after the second chorus where it switches to the. I tried to sing it, but yeah, his voice goes up, and mm-hmm. it's. I think it's really when the song starts to soar, especially when it gets big again, and and the high end really comes in for the first time in the song, because mm-hmm. every before that everything's kind of mid low. And then you know all of the all of the lighter textures start coming in, and especially when he does that that big falsetto moment at the end. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean by they just automated the the effect return to go up a little bit, so he sounds more spacey then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, because he's not trying to pronounce consonants, you don't need to worry about uh, there being any any reverb issues with the higher end, so they can afford to raise that and then not drown out the rest of the instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still playing a very simple um, chord progression. It's it's a it's a six minor four one five, I think. Yeah, this is um, it's it's almost like everything is demented and weird up to that point, and then it it changes. Kind of redeems itself. Yeah, in which I think emotion. is definitely I definitely think it's intentional. It's mm-hmm. it's you know. It's going from distanced and attached to connected and um, full of emotion. Right. Where it almost feel like the emotion's kind of removed in a spooky way in the yeah. beginning. It's very monotone, but it's just like it's done so effectively because you're used to listening to Coldplay be very impassioned and hearing it just almost like uh, in a comfortably numb situation. Yeah. Where it's, it's very like... Where kind of everything kind of raises to a major key. Mm-hmm. And, and then just, yeah, every once you get to the end, it all just, you know, reaches that upper level. And I almost kind of see it as like, you know, look at Earth from outer space. Like, he's still a like a transcendent figure watching, but... You know, he's saying, open up your eyes, and then the end of the song is everybody did open up their eyes. And yeah. now it's like, mm-hmm. it, it, it is now the world that he wanted it to be. Yeah. And so maybe he's still in outer space, but it's now happy existence knowing that they're better off. That's how I listen to it. But, um, yeah. yeah. I just want to share that. And so, it's, <laughs> and so it's a, I think it's a really cool, different way to open up the set, more than what we normally do. We normally don't open sets with mood pieces. Usually it's kind of a, let's let's just, you know, hit it really strong, upbeat right off the bat. And, uh, and that's kind of the fun about doing volume twos, is that you get to be a little more experimental. Mm-hmm. Just like these songs. Because you're not trying to win new fans over. Rather, we're taking the existing fans into deeper into the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, we did the same thing with Pink Floyd. We started with the experimental mood piece right off the beginning. Oh, what one was it? It was Welcome to the Machine. Oh, yeah. Which is a, a, also That's a, a fun episode. an unconventional way to start off a set, but it's effective for the kind of set we're trying to create. Yeah. So, um, I don't have anything else to say about this song, but I have a lot to talk about the next song. Yes. So, well, may, maybe comparatively a lot, not like... Yeah, so let's talk about how these songs transition. Um... So we end on a 
really long fade out. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's it's the six minor um, that were fading out for ages and ages and ages because they hold out the chord and then you have to wait for the reverb to die out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a we go into an ambient little yeah. section here. Now this this song was right after Viva La Vida, right? Yes, it was. And so we're we're coming off of the previous song that had that fade in. It's just the way they kept the album. We mm-hmm. kind of start at a non-zero volume. Yeah. Um, but it still, to an extent, is a fade-in. Mm-hmm. This is Violet Hill. Yes. Um, I don't want to say this is my favorite song, but it's really close. Ooh, interesting. So, um, and I really had a lot of trouble choosing which one was my favorite of the set. Oh, um, something we didn't mention earlier in the episode is we have a cover song available for this episode oh yes we do so go check out our youtube i can't believe we forgot about that yeah go check out our youtube channel uh it's uh about the song we're going to talk about after this one yeah that's the one we're covering so that's something that i just popped in my brain i was just like oh yeah because i kept feeling we forgot something and that's what it was um anyway yeah (laughs) so violet hill uh off the viva la vida album so we still have uh kind of those strings and the rest of the orchestra involved mm-hmm. um but uh in in a very different tone from viva la vida viva la vida was kind of triumphant mm-hmm. even though it had a very dark uh not dark but very sad lyrics this yeah. one i think kind of has more happy lyrics to an extent i mean you'll have to explain the lyrics let's yeah. talk about the meaning of the song first by the way yeah so, I don't so mess up um <laughs> So a big theme of the Viva La Vida album was a lot of um, like medieval history. Um, I mean, you can tell that with um, the album art. It's very, um, it's very ancient looking. I mean, not ancient as in like prehistory, but like you know, mm-hmm. looking like it takes place about seven to eight hundred years in the past. Right. You know, during kind of like the Renaissance era and. Um, it looks, it appears to me, I don't know exactly what Violet Hill is, mm-hmm. and it almost seems like it's the main story, and then the epilogue is almost, like, removed from it. Mm-hmm. So, the whole, the lyric is conjuring up a lot of religious, um, symbolism, which is also a, an overriding theme in the Viva La Vida album. You've got a lot of songs about death and about churches. I mean, the song Viva La Vida talks about... Uh, St. Peter and uh, Roman Catholic choirs are singing. I hear the mission bells ringing. Um, you know, it's very... That's just kind of the theme of the album and the look that they were... All the clothes they were wearing during that period of time. It was very much just kind of like com- conjuring up a, a time-long past. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the lyrics in here, I mean, you, they talk about priests clutched onto Bibles... And the cross was held aloft, and when the banks became cathedrals, and, you know, just very much, you know, buying into the religious symbolism. Mm -hmm. That was very much the theme of the album. And something that they really hadn't talked about in previous albums or songs before. You know, if they do make religious um, connotations, it's usually in service to a love song. And so... um, Violet Hill was the first single released ahead of when Viva La Vida came out. Mm. And I remember hearing it and 
like not liking not it. Liking it, yeah. Which I was really surprised. I kind of liked it first listen. Yeah. Compared to the other songs, I mean, mainly, this isn't my kind of music, but I, I was like, you know, this is pretty good. Yeah, so. mainly because it was just, it was so unlike anything I'd ever heard from them before. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it was more of just like, a, what the heck is this? But when I heard it in the context of the album and I heard what all the other songs are sounding like, the second listen, I immediately was just like, yeah, this is a great song. It was only the very first time. And it's yeah. actually when I started setting the standard of like, I don't want to listen to singles before an album came out because there's usually a... a a context we're missing. Mm-hmm. And that's happened to me now several times. It happens a lot with Coldplay and Muse. I can't listen to those two bands in particular before the album comes out because mm. typically I don't like the song when I hear it, but then as soon as I put the album on, I'm like, oh, I get this now. This is great. Yeah. So um, I feel like this is also another popular song that I didn't know was Coldplay. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I, I this I've heard probably, that reprise, not the priest, the epilogue line four. Uh huh. This is probably the most popular song on this set, mm-hmm. as far as not being obscure. But yeah, this this kind of shows a little bit more of a rock and roll. Uh, even mm-hmm. though the sounds aren't maybe typical rock and roll, there's like still a weird mechanic mechanical aspect to it, mm-hmm. and the guitars are kind of more driven mm-hmm. you know, the drum the drums have a bit more of a like a machine march to it but at the same time it's you know you can tell it's not a drum machine that it's him playing it just it feels like a like a military march mm-hmm. and there's a lot of military references in this you know bury me in armor and i don't want to be a soldier mm-hmm. just i'm not quite sure what this song is saying this is a very mysterious song but to me, if I were to make an educated guess, I would say that this is probably like um, maybe kind of like turn of the Renaissance when, you know, enlightenment is coming and society is changing and, you know, empires are being created. Probably, um, you know, the Catholic Church has come into a conquered nation and is converting everything into their way of life you know the banks mm-hmm. became cathedrals mm-hmm. just you know they're what we're wiping out your existence and we're putting ours in instead mm-hmm. uh, very much like it's a it's a conquering um force coming in and of course you know once the conquering force comes in you if they're still expanding you know expanding their kingdom then that means that you're going to be recruited to fight and you know Perhaps it's the story of a man that, you know, wishes for his old life, the way that his life used to be, and now he's, you know, he's know he's going to be put into the to the war. He probably thinks he's going to die because soldiers were not treated very well back then. They were just, you know, pieces in winning a war. Right. Um, not a whole lot has changed, but it's better. And. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, the whole ending part of I took my love down to Violet Hill, there we sat in the snow. I still don't know how that all fits in. And the, if you love me, why don't you let me go? So, mm-hmm. it's almost, is there a possibility that it could be like yellow, where it's like he put, a, he put a placeholder in there and then couldn't find anything better? It could be. It could be also maybe it's two different stories and like maybe one is, the main story is symbolic. Maybe. Of a modern story, like maybe it's, you know, 
the conquering nation is representative of a conquering relationship where someone, you know, instead of loving that person, Ooh. they were controlling them. And uh -huh. then it's like, if you love me, just let me go. Yeah. Ooh. It could be. I bet that's it, actually. I bet that's it. I'm, I just, I, I don't know for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's my best guess. And who knows, maybe there's a reason out there that I just didn't find. And if someone does have the answer, feel free to let us know. We're always about learning more. Yeah. But it makes for a really cool song. Uh, we've got kind of a guitar solo partway through, even though, you know... I remember the first time hearing it going, what? Coldplay's doing a guitar solo? But... It's also kind of not a solo because there's they play the same thing the whole time. It's just kind of a guitar line. Yeah, yeah. but it's in the, also in the place of in the song where you would normally put a guitar solo. You know, it's after yeah. the second chorus, yeah. before the bridge. Yeah, well... I remember thinking it was a guitar solo when I first heard it. I've kind of walked back. Maybe the first time hearing it until you realize it repeats. Yeah, I can see that. Because it, it plays... The guitar it all of a sudden as, it moves forward in the function. mix. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. So I can see that. Now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. um, everything is very reverby in the song. Everything's very reverby. Very, this is where you were talking about the washiness. Right. But it's, I would say, significantly less reverby than most of the songs on this list. Hmm. Um, it's just that's the way I think that the Viva La Vida songs were. Mm -hmm. It's just there's so much going on that you can't. Pack it with reverb, yeah, right. Because you got um, you got an actual like significant drum beat in this song, um, some really distorted guitars, and then for a lot of the songs on um, Viva La Vida, you have a string section and maybe some orchestra and stuff. So you have to give room sonically for those things to breathe and you, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So one of this song has one of my favorite things that. Coldplay started doing a lot kind of in their later period, which is have these beautiful epilogues yes. to their songs. When it goes to the piano and his voice goes down an octave, that's like my favorite part of the song. That is the and best And a lot of, the song. of songs on Viva La Vida do that, where they, you know, and even sometimes it's not even related at all to the song. You know, they'll, they'll have a... I'm, I think it's the song um, Cemeteries of London off that album. They'll do the song and then like completely out of nowhere at the end, like in a different key, there's just, it's different rhythm. Charlie Brown off of the um, Milo Zeloto album does that, where it's, you know, it ends beautifully. It would be blowing in the dark and you think it's end and the beautiful piano. They started doing that around the Viva La Vida period, where mm -hmm. they just will put these nice little epilogue parts. Yeah, and that's nice. And it really um, puts us in a great spot for the next song, because yeah. we kind of are in this serene, calming place, yeah. and then the strings of Yes come in. Yeah. You think it's almost kind of continuing that pastoral feeling. Mm-hmm. And it feels very happy. Uh -huh. Almost like unreally happy. Mm-hmm. As if as if Schmaltzy. you're Yeah, as if you're like in a dream. dreaming. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and the end of Violet Hill kind of almost feels like a dream. Mm-hmm. That's nice um, that we had that same thought. When, but I, it when ends, I discovered that transition, I yeah. was just like, oh, yes. It, it ends very quickly where we kind of go into the... Uh, the guitar parts kind of strumming along mm -hmm. and uh, which, which we're still kind of in a major key. Yeah. Um, but now we're more jammy and we have kind of the fiddle slash violin. It depends on how it's played. And yeah. There's some expert I'm sure who's listening who can clear that up, but um, playing a part along with that. Uh, and so even though we're not dark and sad and everything, mm-hmm. We don't get to that until the vocals come in. Yeah. We're setting that up. Yes. So, by the way, this is the song that we did a cover of this yeah. week. So go check out our YouTube channel. We'll put a little reminder um, in our uh, social media pages. Mm -hmm. um, this was a song that we kind of really reinvented in order to... Yeah. Because, um, not because we didn't we thought our version would be better, but just because... Neither um, of us play violin. Yeah, we, we don't, I have a violin like right over there, but I never have learned to play it. So yeah, we don't, it we, don't, we don't have the, the instruments or the technology to recreate so, the way that they did uh, it. So this was kind of, and a lot of the songs are like that on this list, to where it was just like, no matter which one we picked, we would have had to do some retooling just to make it to where right. we physically can pull it off. Right, and just make it our own because that's how music is. Um, so we don't want to spoil any of that. Yeah. We want you guys to actually listen to the song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, go check that out. Yeah. So, yes, I think this may be the most underrated song that they ever made. Really? Okay. Because no one ever talks about this song. And I think that it is brilliant. And I think it's so cool. Mm -hmm. It's now, got so many cool uh -huh. things going on in it. I will say that this is my favorite. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. Yeah. Even though it doesn't have my favorite parts... You know, I'd still say the end of Violet Hill is better than any part of this song, or some of the instrumentation of the next song okay. is better than anything in this song. Overall, this song played very well. Mm -hmm. And I would also say it has the worst sound production, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, especially if you get to the second part. Um, I which, think, which I'm personally a fan of. I, I think that, that the... That the opening guitar of the second part was a little bit lazily recorded but we can get to that um let's talk about the first part first yes so the, uh, the part when that... it started we had high hopes so obviously we don't have high hopes anymore Mm-hmm. So. so yeah this is a pretty dark song lyrically mm -hmm. um again we have a we're continuing the religious themes of viva la vida um saying lord lead me not into temptation and God only God knows I'm trying my best. Mm -hmm. um, and Chris Martin is singing in his not very often used low register. He's known mm -hmm. for his higher voice, but mm -hmm. man, I cannot sing that low. That's yeah. why. That's why <laughs> I did the higher octave. It I wasn't. Was, yeah. That wasn't like an intentional. Like you know, oh, I'm gonna do this you know, with my spin. It's because I literally cannot go that low. <laughs> I was almost wondering if you were going to ask me to do that vocal line or not. But, mm, no. But no I'm, I'm glad you laid it down because then I'd have to stress over me singing it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, singing is hard. Singing is hard, man. Um, I'm going to stick to guitar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that the meaning of this, I think it's, I honestly think it's another one that's about a relationship. 
Yeah, but it's definitely the darker side of a relationship. Yeah. So um, it's almost like it's uh It's almost like it's the other perspective of what Violet Hill was. Yeah, but to me, this this almost feels a bit like a like a stalker song, mm. like someone that is pursuing a love that is not being reciprocated, and it's. And it's like, um, it's a relationship that he shouldn't be in. Like he's, mm. you know, mm-hmm. again, the whole line of seeing Lord lead me not in temptation, but it's not easy when she turns you on. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's something that he's trying to fight. Mm-hmm. Like it's something he knows he shouldn't have, but he wants it so badly. He keeps talking about, I'm just so tired of this lonely mess. Just, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's tired of being alone, but he's. He wants something that not only can he not have, but he knows is bad for him anyway. Mm-hmm. And maybe it isn't that he, uh, that it's unrequited, but rather maybe it's just a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Something that he knows better, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe that's what that line means of when it started, we had high hopes. Like it seemed like it would have been a normal relationship, but now he's realizing how bad and unhealthy it is but he still you know there's probably that animal side the attraction the the lust is strong and that's what's keeping the relationship alive mm-hmm. you know it could be that it's a verbally or emotionally abusive relationship where there's you know there's hot passion in fighting each other and then coupled with hot passion in the other department <laughs> <laughs> the other department okay yeah. uh-huh now i can see that but then there's but then there's the third verse that really throws everything for a loop so then they hung me by my big toe i was held from the rooftops and they let me go i don't know how that part factors into this what's what's the second part of that line um oh, i can't remember how that lyric goes now i sang it you sang it yeah it's one of the one of the most fun parts of the song to sing uh, the windows down or something yeah it sounds like i mean it could be another thing that that's allegorically related to the french revolution or whatever it, to me it sounds more modern like you know like mafia like you know when they they hang you over the rooftop and be like you know trying to scare you like tell me what you know like batman or how he would do that it's it's almost seems like someone's trying to use an intimidation factor, and then they just decided to drop them. Hmm. But I just I'm trying to think of how that ties into what we're seeing lyrically throughout the rest of the song. Yeah. Could I don't, be it could be another one of those yellow things, but I I don't know. The I don't entire verse. I don't. Think I don't so. think so. There's. Viva La Vida was the time when chris martin really got mysterious with his lyrics and i think it's really cool because he's very literal most of the time Mm -hmm. he says he just says exactly what he feels Mm -hmm. and what he's trying he makes what is his point very apparent he's not as poetic not like in a bad way but where he's not shrouding everything in mystery and illusion and metaphor like he's usually pretty straightforward and so to have really in a almost a whole album of just really obscure lyrics it's kind of a nice change of pace so what yes is actually about just like violet hill nobody knows or at least we don't know we don't know yeah 
There's probably someone out there that knows. Chris Martin. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about this song is the the string break. The oh yeah. Just it's so sharp and just like the the staccato that they're using and the melody, like it's stuff like that. I was just like, man, this is really cool because it's so different for Coldplay to to be this almost proggy to where it's you know they're they're mixing with melodies that they don't normally use and instruments they don't normally use and song structures they don't normally use sounds it was just viva la vida overall was a really experimental record i think that's why i love it so much because it scratches that little prog bone that i have that they were able to incorporate these different instruments for an entire album and it sounded unique on every song Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that lends itself to that is the main kind of violin line between mm-hmm. each vocal lyric. That would be kind of the dee 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 dee, you know? Yeah. And I think that that was. Having the occasional moments where it's seven instead of eight, where oh, you just yeah. randomly they'll just they'll just take yeah. out a beat. That was yeah. Oh, we don't need to bring up that. Oh, horrible the... realization of the fact that I have to switch between time signatures on a Coldplay song. But um... <laughs> see, I love it. It's just there's little things like that where right, it's just but, like, but, man, they're really. But then you you have to have recognized that fact. You you have to have actually played this song multiple times and then went back and analyzed what you were recording. Anyway, so you're saying from the from the <laughs> aspect of you recording the guitars for this I, cover song, I didn't I didn't realize it. You know, so. Well, it's a good thing I realized it. Yeah, it's a good thing you realized it. Because that could have been bad. Um, but So at this point, I haven't heard what you've done. Because this is right. this is one where I'm really curious to see yeah. how this whole... Because it's so... Gonna, okay. I, it's going to be so different. I'm going to leave you in suspense. I mean, I still have yet to send you the one before this one. Yeah. So, which still, they, the listeners have already heard, so... Um, and loved! I'm sure they Speaking do. that into existence. <laughs> um... But yeah, the... so this song, and I think a big reason why I love the new album Everyday Life so much is mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's a sequel to mm-hmm. Viva La Vida, um, to where they've they've returned to where it still feels like a full band, but they're in, experimenting with a lot of different instruments and sounds and cultures. Like this has a very, um, has a very um, Indian feel to it i feel like a lot of the instruments like the percussions and now you're moving on to the next song aren't you no oh no okay because right. we still have to talk about the second half I was of this wondering. Song. yeah i was saying, uh, almost with a bit that. of a middle eastern tinge to it and yes mm-hmm. and um in everyday life i feel like captures that as well where it's you know they're they're pulling from a lot of different areas of inspiration mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like an easy, straightforward pop record, which Ghost Stories, my the the three in between, Viva La Vida and Everyday Life is you've got Milo's I Little Ghost Stories, A Head Full of Dreams, which are very much more straightforward pop records. Even though they do interesting things, they're not experimenting in the way that they did on Viva La Vida. And now with Everyday Life, it feels like we've kind of almost returned back to that. That's nice, and it's really fun. Yeah. Experimenting with music is always the way to go. Mm-hmm. Better for it to crash and burn. Yeah. So now we move on to the second half of this song, 
which is called um, Chinese Sleep Dance, I think. Chinese music. <laughs> like that little Steely Dan reference. Call back to our Steely Dan. Yeah, listening to those Steely Dan songs is always a... Because that was actually right after Coldplay, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the fourth so, episode. So you guys, after you listen to uh, Coldplay, can just keep the Spotify playlist rolling, listen to some That's awesome right. Steely Dan songs. Um, I didn't know it had a different name until you mentioned it while we were mm-hmm. recording. I'm double check because I think I said that wrong. But, but uh, Chinese Sleep Chant. Chinese Sleep I knew it was Chinese chant. Sleep something. Um, I, I thought it was a different track. I thought we were on to a new track. Mm-hmm. But listening to it again and knowing that, it makes sense that... You don't start a song with a with a guitar intro like that. Yeah. With the with the swell, mm-hmm. the the pitch swell. They. This was another thing I really liked about Viva La Vida. Actually, a lot of the songs um, had these these hidden second passages to it. Like, there's another great song off that album called "Lovers in Japan," that is like a is another like seven and a half minute song but it's because it's two songs put together you have the lovers in japan and actually in the title they tell you what the second half and it's called rain in love and it turns into this beautiful rain in love not rain in blood not rain in blood rain in love <laughs> and it's this beautiful it's just piano i think maybe a little bit of guitar swells and him singing and because lovers in japan is this big bombastic song and then it just shrinks down into this really beautiful piano ballad for the second half of the song. Um, Death and All His Friends, the final song on the album, has uh, has a, a hidden return back to the first song, but with lyrics. Ooh. And it provides for a great... Because the first song on the album is Life in Technicolor is instrumental. And it's meant to just serve as like an opening to the album. Uh, a mood piece, and then nice. "Death and All His Friends" is is the is the big finish, and then you think the album's over, and then that intro fades in, but instead of it being instrumental, he starts singing, and so um, so there's a lot of uh, stuff like that in "Viva La Vida," and so I remember because I remember seeing on iTunes like they were they announced the album they announced the tracks but it wasn't out yet and I remember looking at all the song tiles and the links and going oh my gosh all these songs are so long and at that time I was like just starting to get in the rush when Viva Luke so I was just like is this gonna be like a proggy album I kind of was right and you're right yeah I mean not not, not the same kind of prog as rush but I remember but... just seeing the names of the titles seeing how long the songs are I was just like this is gonna be a weird album and I'm gonna like it and I did um, so yeah, so we get to the, um, the Chinese sleep chant, and I really like this, because again, it's, when you, he- when you hear it in the context of the album, it's, it's like, at this point now, you're expecting moments like this to come up, to where it's not a full song, but it's just, it's another flavor, and they said the reason they did this is because they still wanted to have ten songs and not it be this massive album, but they had all of these musical components that they didn't want to just get rid of, and mm-hmm. so they just kind of would throw them onto the ends of other songs. And I think it was a pretty cool decision. Um, to talk about your opinions on how this part of the song sounds. Now, I will say, okay. There is there is some history and some okay. reason behind it. And this was something... We'll see if it explains all of it, really. 
there, uh, there was something about this album that I never knew before, and I can't believe I didn't know about it. But the producer was Brian Eno, mm-hmm. who's one of the most famous producers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, he started off actually as the I want to say he was the keyboardist for a cult '70s band called Roxy Music. Okay. Which is a band that we could definitely do an episode on at some point. I don't know a lot about them. They're definitely one I would have to learn about. Mm-hmm. But um, they were one of the people that were supposed to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, I think. Was supposed to get in. Before, okay. this, before the ceremony. No, they just, they just got nominated. Okay. No, wait, no, no. They got in last year. That's what it was. Last ah, year they got in. okay. Um, and so that's how Brian Eno kind of rose to popularity. And then he really became known as a great producer when he worked with David Bowie in the late 70s on his Berlin Trilogy, which is a very experimental, very weird period, but where a lot of people say is where he did his best work. And when we do a David Bowie volume two, that's what we're going to look at. Mm-hmm. But the big song from that period was Heroes. Have you ever heard that song? No. Uh, we could be heroes just for one day. Hmm. If you listen to the production on that song, mm-hmm. um, it's very similar to the way that Chinese sleep chant sounds. It's drenched beyond belief in reverb. Everything is sounds like it's kind of in a cavernous space. And that's intentional because that was a sound that they were pioneering at that time and really took over the entire German music. Um, scene, which is where Bowie was. He was it's called the Berlin Trilogy because he made them in Germany, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of the the kraut rock uh, movement that was going on, which is something that we'll definitely take a look at when we do our music history. Scorpion. That's not what kraut rock is. No. <laughs> I guarantee one thousand percent you have never heard a, a single thing of kraut rock. Because it's weird. I thought, I, I thought kraut rock was just a, a weird slang for German. No, it's a rock. it's a legitimate movement with specific sounds and bands. Um, probably the most popular band from that movement is Kraftwerk, hmm. who have been nominated several times for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can't ever seem to get in, but they're like the creators of electronic music, or at least they were the first ones to do it and kind of get big doing it. Okay. But that was all in the 70s. And so Brian Eno, he was part of that. Then he became U2's big producer. Ooh. Uh, Okay, that makes sense. He did Octung Baby, which is an incredible sounding record. Just, again, mixing the the technologic with the human and, again, just creating that dense atmosphere of sound. Mm -hmm. So now knowing, and I learned this while doing the research for this episode, that Brian Eno was with them for Viva La Vida. It makes so much sense now why that part sounds like it. That's it's a totally Brian Eno sounding passage, and because there's so much of what he's done produced that I love, it makes me now like Chinese Sleep Chant a lot more. Hmm. You know, I wasn't talking about that part of Chinese Sleep Chant, right? I was talking about the very, very beginning. That's the only part you don't like. That's the that's. That's the only part I, I think was lazily done sound engineering-wise. The guitar is peaking. And it's just when you have one instrument on the on the, the whole mix at the time and it's peaking, it just doesn't lend itself to a very good mix. 
See, I like it. I mean, you can you can get away with that on Death Magnetic, you know, when when one of the instruments is peaking but the other ones aren't, you know. Um, but you can't get away with that if there's one instrument. Yeah. Well. So. And, and it, to my ears, it was just too much. Yeah. I've always liked it. I've always liked this segment. It's actually whenever I saw them live, they didn't play Yes, but they played this part of the song. Now, it's not enough for it to detract from being my favorite song, but it just it was something that I had to note. So, but well, yeah, obviously we have really washed reverb. We have a lot more reverb from the first part of the song. Mhm. And uh but we haven't done a lot of automation yet. No, we will that's, that's with, coming. With not the vocals in the next song, actually, mm -hmm. oddly enough. So um, I have nothing else to say about yes. If you want to go to the we've next been talking song, about the song for a we've long been time. We've been talking about the song for way too long. No, that's not. That's <laughs> not true. It's not way too long. Okay, maybe not way too long. So we have uh, so we have the fade out, kind of just letting the, again, kind of like politics, just letting the reverb kind of wash out. Mm -hmm. And then um, we make our transition into a song from their newest album, Everyday Life. There you go. Arabesque. Arabesque. I was wondering how this was pronounced. I thought it was something like that. And the way I, the reason I think it's called that is because the song sounds Arabesque. Ah. Uh, okay. I think. That's my... Because it was one of those things I was looking at, I was just like, why is it called this? Is this, like, the name of a place? Yeah, and I thought then, it was the name of a place. And then all of a sudden, I, like, looked at it a different way. I was just like, oh, if this isn't it, it should be. <laughs> Arab-esque. Yeah. Arab-esque. Yeah. So let's, so let's talk yeah. about the album Everyday Life. Okay. Because there is also a theme that runs through that entire album. Mm -hmm. And the whole theme is about unity, brotherhood... And um, and just coming together, and so a lot of those the love songs on this are not about a love between like a man and a woman. It's like um, a love for your common man. You know, it's more of kind of like that, um, like you know, the love your neighbor as yourself kind of thing. Also, love for a good friend or a love for a parent. Um, not just a relationship love. There's actually quite few relationship songs in this album. It's a double album. It's a huge record. Wow. But, man, it's so good. But, like, you've got a song called Daddy that's just about a kid, like, trying to get a hold of an absent father and just mm -hmm. saying, you know, I miss you. Come back. It's it's okay. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not mad at you. I just want you in my life. Or Trouble in Town, which is just about, you know, it's actually about police brutality, which is you know, very relevant right now. But it's just about, you know, we need to be uh, more mindful of what's happening to people that aren't like us, mm -hmm. that aren't the same skin color as us, you know. We're, and um, you've got a song like When I Need a Brother, mm -hmm. or When I Need a Friend, I think is what it's called. And it's like this, it's this recreation of like this very solemn, like church, like, like Catholic, like Gregorian chant to where it sounds like it would have been sung like in the 1200s, mm. very echoey with that kind of monk chanting sound to it. It's very beautiful. And, and so that's kind of like the, the, the theme of the album. 
I figured that's what it was listening to this song. And this song is def- is also about, you know, I could be you, you could be me, uh, two drops in the same sea. Just yep. just the whole, and the, 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 the refrain of, and we share the same blood. Just talking yeah. about, you know, we're all part of one race, the human race. I mean, we all have different blood types, but like, that's not the point. Yeah. It's just saying, <laughs> we, all have, we all have human blood in us. Right, right, right. Except for those people that have, you know, tiger blood in them, like Charlie Sheen. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, the album also pulls, like Viva La Vida did, just pulling music from, like, there's there's gospel music on Everyday Life. There's, um, you know, kind of roots, soul, blues music. Mm-hmm. You've got this that's kind of got a very Middle Eastern feel to it. Um and then you've got like the the ancient European, you know, old time church sound, and so that's just that's, you know, this song continues that that trend of just pulling from all these different places to tell the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really a perfect album for today. About it's just an album about let's put aside all of the crap and let's just come together and be one people again. Mm-hmm. And that's emphasized when Chris Martin does a very rare swearing where at the end he's yelling same effing blood. Just like... Oh, I thought it was same, same blood. No, he's saying same effing blood. Which is just, you know, at this point, I think it's helped them that they, like, completely got to the top of the world in the pop realm with the last couple albums. Because... This album now is just kind of like, we don't have to worry about being, you know, like, presentable. We don't have to, like, have, like, the nice, tidy pop songs. We can literally just make whatever we want now. Yeah. And that's what this album feels. It feels like the album that they, an album they truly have wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to worry about radio, although they, a couple of singles have been pretty successful so far. Um... But you know they can they can af- afford to say some risky things, mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. Um, obviously, this is really close to being my mm-hmm. favorite, and the thing that may have pushed it over the edge um, into being a contender was the saxophone. Yes. So I am a real sucker for a good saxophone part. And it's a um, it's a really cool saxophone. And it is. And, and it is. It's it's one of those ones where it plays a lot of the notes that you normally shouldn't play, and kind of you know gets really jazzy, mm-hmm. but still has that that really up tempo. It's the song is bluesy, but at the same time it's just it's got that exotic feel to it. Mm-hmm. That main hook of the bam bam ba na 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 da na 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 na. It's so mm. good. And the yeah. That's what I was thinking. And then it breaks off into a solo somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's when we start to see the automation of the reverb. Yeah. To to a great extent. So, you know, the saxophone will playing one note over here, and then we'll reverb that out even more, and then we'll cut it off suddenly, and then we'll play this one and reverb that one out suddenly. Mm-hmm. And now there's no direct saxophone. It's all reverb. and Yeah. 
it, crazy stuff. It gets to certain points where the individual parts are not as important as the wall of sound just like enveloping you mm-hmm. to where they intentionally make it to where it's like you kind of can't tell. But then all of a sudden it disappears and we're back to just the saxophone right in front of you. Uh-huh. I thought that so, that was a really cool effect. Yeah, that that made me think for a long time about how they actually did that. And for whatever reason, I didn't think automation hmm. until I watched like a... I mean, I have no idea like how a, any of that stuff I think, uh, works. Uh, I think it was a boy in a band video. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about vocal automation. And I'm like, you know, they probably did that on the saxophone. Yeah, so, might have. Um, they, you've, got, you've got a better guess than I do. They... To an extent, they could have just easily just used another track for the vocals this time. Um, but towards the end, there's more reverb mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and there's actually not a lot of reverb on his voice in the beginning of the song, I would say. Yeah. I think it's a lot of instruments. Yeah. The um, vocals are kind of not the point of this song, which is cool. Which is interesting, considering the fact that it has a very serious message. Uh-huh. Again, it's... It's a it's a stitch in the larger tapestry that the album is creating, and it's a stitch in the larger tapestry that this set list is creating. Mm-hmm. Because okay. I feel like that this song is almost kind of like the big breaking point where it's like I intentionally structured it to where this song gets so big that we can't get bigger anymore. Mm-hmm. From this, especially point. at the end. Uh huh. The end when they bring in the synths, and you're not. Another sound engineering thing, you're not flooding everything else with the amount of new sound that you have. It's it's amazing that they're able to pull this off. Yeah. Um, and the way that it just, it instantly just all, like just this yeah, sharp ending. Uh-huh. And I um, think it's, it just, it, it leaves us with this big, like, oh, these emotions are rising and you just, you feel like it can't get any bigger mm-hmm. and then it just disappears and mm-hmm. leaves you kind of just like... Oh, okay. Um, and then it lets the last two songs just kind of mm-hmm. take us to the real destination because you think that that would be the destination to get to, but there's a deeper place to go. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and start moving in that direction with the fifth song. Yeah, I could, I could go on for years about the, the interesting theory in that final part of the song, but it's basic theory. They're just taking advantage of it. Um, so this was a little bit... Um, how do I say I didn't like it when I first heard it yeah. actually I didn't at all and I didn't either I've, I've grown to appreciate the what they've done uh, mixing wise and, and coming up with a unique sound and, and all that stuff um, even though I don't like the song I can kind of appreciate the work put into it mm-hmm. um, this is Midnight Right? Yeah. Off of... Uh, ghost Stories. Ghost Stories, okay. So, Ghost Stories for a long time was my least favorite record. I, I still would probably say it's my least favorite record, but I don't hate it anymore. Mm-hmm. I really am starting to like it. Um, Midnight, though, was kind of always one that was interesting to me. Because, again, like, I remember the first time I listened to the Ghost Stories. Like, by the time I got to this point, I was just like, what the heck am I listening to? Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like a Coldplay album. Because normally, like, yes, I'm used to all of this moroseness... But usually, by this point, we've gotten some bright-sounding songs. The whole album is just bleak and dark, because it's his breakup album with Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, right. And so, we talked about that in the first episode. His uh, conscious uncoupling Mm -hmm. with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. 
So this is him just kind of singing about everything that he needed to get out of his system. Mm-hmm. You know, all the emotions. It was it was it was a healthy ex- and I under I appreciate this now more. Mm-hmm. Kind of seeing everything. It's and it's the load reload. Ah, see, I don't even I wouldn't even give it that uh, level. Not in a negative sense. No, because I don't feel like that, that was an album Metallica needed to get out. Saint Anger was an album they needed to get out of their system. I don't think. I mean, as terrible as it is, I don't think Metallica could have been reborn without that album. I think it was a necessary evil to kind of, you know, they had so much pent up that they kind of needed an album that that's that abrasive and that unhinged to move forward. Okay. I'm not saying it's good. But I don't think we would have we don't we would have Metallica where they are now without that album. So do you think the same thing about Ghost Stories? Yes. Really? So you don't really actually appreciate the album? I no, but that's that's the difference between this and something like Saint Anger. Saint Anger, I'm never gonna like that album as a whole. Yeah, there's some good songs. Let's be honest. There's good moments. Okay. And again, several of the songs could be bearable if not for that god awful <laughs> snare drum. I think you mean trash can. Well, I mean, we don't need to recycle that old joke. Everyone, it's been said a million times. It's just any time I think that I can start liking a song off that album, that that snare kicks in, and I'm just like, I can't. My, it's a dog ball hitting the cement. My my head starts to hurt. It works for some kind of monster, in my opinion. Anyway, we're not That's talking about saying anger. a whole other... We're, so we're with ghost about, yeah. stories, not only <laughs> do I see it as necessary, but I'm starting to... I think it's just like I'm a different point in my life now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I now see in hindsight where this album fits in the Coldplay whole, the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I see that as this was a necessary album to make in order to move forward. I think that had Chris Martin not made those songs and not really gotten all of those emotions out of him, it could have destroyed him. Mm-hmm. Because he's a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. I don't say that as a bad thing. Because we need emotional people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's and it's what makes Coldplay tick and run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is an album that, that just needed to happen. And because of that, I'm starting to like the album more. And Midnight is definitely one of the songs I'm starting to like the most. Because inherently it has a structure that is one of my favorites which is the build-up, where, and especially I've, I've discovered a new type of build-up that I really like, which is kind of the, um, the anticlimactic build-up, where you are slowly layering things piece by piece, especially, like, you know, stuff that's very ambient, very... Um, like this one, especially. Yes, to where it's not something like, you know, Octavarium, where every time we're layering, it's pretty grand and huge. But it feels like the whole song is, like, building up to this big release, and then it doesn't. Ah, at the very, very end? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then that's when they kick in the automated reverb send, and they push that up, and now we have tons of reverb, which they couldn't get away with. Um, because of all the other instruments. So they had to have it so low. Mm-hmm. But when it goes to just vocals and you want to fill that space, um, they have that automated reverb. It almost sounds like they have it also like uh, cross, not faded. Um, 
but almost as if cross panned. I don't know what it is, but as the volume of the of the vocals go up, they pull down the reverb sense so you can still hear what he's saying. You can still hear the definition in every consonant, mm -hmm. but uh, you can still have that dreamy, drowny reverb mm -hmm. between words. Yeah. So, and they pull that off nicely with the the anticlimactic mm -hmm. climax. Yeah. And really, it's kind of the second song in a row we have done this, but in a way, this one kind of feels because. You know, that big build-up at the end of Arabesque. It feels like we're, you know... Yeah, with the big bass drop. Uh -huh. Sounds like something else is going to... And then you don't. Mm -hmm. And then with this one, again, we kind of... We feel like we're going to get something big, and then it just fades back to the vocals. And I feel like that that's so beautiful, and so... It was a good choice. Yeah. They couldn't, they couldn't have... They couldn't have pulled off, like, a behind the... Behind the blue eyes. Behind blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And throw in drums there. Yeah. It just wouldn't have been... Would have been the way to go. And I feel like that this is a good kind of like just part of the set to just kind of like let the emotions sit mm. and just create this like atmospheric dreamscape, but the dream is not as pleasant. It's just it's you, you feel the oppressiveness mm -hmm. building around you. Mm -hmm. Feels like everything is as dark as midnight. Yeah, and now an interesting thing is, do you know? what he's doing to do that uh, vocal harmonization. Is he playing through a keyboard like a vocalizer? Is he... I don't know. Because it almost sounds like he's playing through a vocalizer because there's so hmm. much... Um, so, so many different tonalities, and mm -hmm. they're all... Some of them are kind of uh, within like a, a major or minor second of each other. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also such really low harmonies as well that are really loud yeah so i'm almost thinking he he pushes voice through a vocalizer or, vo or whatever it is hmm. vocalizer it could be possible again um, i'm very ignorant in these types of things yeah. it's just not my thing i was just wondering if they talked about that in the documentary if he no, ever done they, that before they didn't, they didn't they didn't go into specific songs in the documentary okay. they just more talked about the albums as a whole and what they represented for them at that time Okay. Um, so then we uh, we head into the final song, my favorite song of the set, Ooh, okay. and my favorite Coldplay song of all time. Ooh, okay. Then I'll, I'll okay. I'll let you start this thing. Amsterdam. Yeah. All right. And I just love that it starts with almost that that weird sound effect. The the, the mm hmm I feel like it's and also this is the the song that closes the album, Rush of Blood to the Head. So we have the bookends. Yep, we do. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was also intentional. Hear that. Um, this song, it's almost like I can't even explain why, but for whatever reason, when I was very young, this song just grabbed me. Because this was when I was really starting to learn about the art of album making, and what really got me into just like, the way you sequence an album determines how good it is. Yeah. Because you can have a bunch of great songs, if they're not in the right order, they're not as effective. And the way that the album just kind of leads us to Amsterdam, it just feels like, it feels like this extended epilogue, mm -hmm. but it, at the same time, it feels like it's the culmination of everything that's happened up to that point. And I wanted to recapture that moment. And so the whole time I knew that Amsterdam was the place I wanted to get to at the end. And I was like, okay, how do I create a set of songs that effectively gives us the right payoff? So that's why, you know, 
I felt like Midnight was the right bridge between something big like Arabesque and then something that's so personal. Because what we do get in Amsterdam is the conclusion, the payoff of the build. Because this is the point where everything does open up. Mm-hmm. The things that Arabesque and Midnight have teased us with, we get the resolution. Mm-hmm. Because song is so simple for most of it. It's just the piano. Beautiful, beautiful piano line. The vocals are beautiful. Yeah. That's why I don't sing the cover song. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> um, I'll, I don't... I'll let you explain the big climax, though, because it it obviously works as an end, mm-hmm. but I see it as more of an epilogue than maybe the final release. To me, it's just, again, it's, it's the whole thing about how the previous two songs have teased a big, re- like, where everything opens up, the drums come in, the beat comes in, all of the high textures fill everything. Um, arabesque gets really really big but it still didn't feel like we were reaching the big moment it takes it away from us right as we feel like we're getting there and then midnight also does the same thing you feel like it's building towards something and then it just fades out and then with here um, you definitely feel like it's building towards something when that piano line changes. The bah, bah, and the organ starts to come in. You feel like, oh, okay, now are we finally going to get it? And then the drums come in. The every All the highs start dominating the mix. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just like, it's almost like, um, ever since Arabesque, it's like, and especially with Midnight, it just feels like darkness has enveloped the songs. And this is the point where Daybreak happens mm. the, either the sun rises or the clouds part and the and the sun starts shining down even if just for a moment mm-hmm. and it's glorious mm. okay i've cried several times when it has gotten to that point okay. because it's the perfect just kind of it's almost just like it's the it's the the glimmer of hope okay and Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't understand the significance of it because I haven't heard the album. Yeah, and also just I think that there's some something very personal for me in this because again, this was one of the very first albums I ever connected with, and I just remember like I always listen to the album. And I always would like anticipate Amsterdam being at the end because I knew that it was the perfect way to finish the album. Mm-hmm. Like this is a top five song for me. Really, this is it's, this is that. Top top five song of all songs of all of artists. All of songs all of all time. Yes. Wow. Okay. And you, you, okay. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it's just I to think... me this song just it it isn't it isn't rememberable. Whatever it is, memorable. Not rememberable. Oh my goodness. It's just not memorable compared to the other songs, and maybe I just don't understand the the musical significance. I know your face looks so. I know. I know. Sad trying, because I know, and I mean, here's the thing. I know that there's probably it may just be my ears. Yeah, and and it could maybe just be my personal connection is is propelling this. It could be that people hear this and it's a, it's exactly that an epilogue, and I'm fine with that as well. I think that this is a beautiful song. Again, no one ever talks about this song. 
feel like that this song is a, a hidden gem of Coldplay's on Russia Blood of the Head. Because mm-hmm. that, that album is stacked. That's got all the classics on it. Clocks is on there, The Scientist, In My Place, Politic, God Put a Smile on Your Face, Green Eyes, Warning Sign. You know, all those songs are pretty well known. And then you've got a song like Amsterdam that's just kind of, you know, hiding. But at the same time, it's like it's the one that is so memorable when it when it's found. Hmm. So, I mean, I mean, I didn't, I didn't remember it, but that's not, or not remember it. Of course, I remembered it. I listened to it like twelve times, but like, it didn't stand out to me. Mm-hmm. And that that's not to detract from the song itself. There are a lot of really good songs on the set. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think it's also part like, of it is just. You know, you listeners need to listen to the songs yourself. Yeah. Maybe everyone's, Maybe I'm wrong. Everyone's going to have different reactions to the songs, mm-hmm. and so, you know, there's not one right, and everything is, music will always be subjective on how, you know, they're put together, the way that you listen to them. It's different for everyone. Right. That's happened before with artists, where it's like the past, the, the last two songs or something just don't connect with me, and so the last song, I just... It's not memorable to me. That kind of almost happened with Between the Buried and Me, I'd say. Hmm. Because the first four songs of that were so good. Yeah. That the last two just didn't hold up to the epicness of, you know, Ants in the Sky and Memory Palace and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's kind of the same way with this set. Hmm. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. It had a really strong second song. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to... Dream Theater, you know, that was probably the weakest song of the set, but, um, uh, once again, not to detract from the song, I mean, this is the Good Music Podcast. That's right. So, <laughs> all these songs are, are really good. Definitely go check them out yourself. I could be completely wrong, but it's just, comparatively, just wasn't that good. All right. Well, I think... So I have that... nothing to say about that song. Okay. <laughs> well, and then I definitely gave my big speech yes. about it. Yes, So, I, um... So, for those of you... Else out there that aren't big Amsterdam fans, let me know. Let me know that I'm right. (laughs) We'll go ahead and end this section here. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk about the bonus song and final thoughts. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Coldplay. This is the Volume 2 episode of Coldplay. And um, we just talked about the songs in this episode. Just to recap, those songs were Politic, uh, Violet Hill, Yes, Arabesque, Midnight, and Amsterdam. Sometimes I almost start saying what's next on the album rather than on the playlist. I have to like <laughs> stop myself because I almost said Politic in my place. God, I was like, wait, no. That's not it. <laughs> That's the album. Yeah. Uh, so now it's time to talk about the bonus song. And hopefully, again, those of you that heeded our recommendation, these are not a lot of first-time listeners, so mm. you should know what a bonus song is. But just in case some of you guys decided to... Um, Break the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Troublemakers. 
Grant, go ahead and explain what the bonus song is. All right, so a bonus song is a song from an artist that we, for whatever reason, won't feature on the podcast, but we still want to talk about their music, and we still want to give them a chance to get on the podcast and, and talk about the wonderful music that they've produced, but they just don't have the catalog for us to be able to talk about them. So, um, And then also we want to pick an artist that is somehow related to the artist that we're talking about in the rest of the episode. Um, so, this week's bonus song is something just like this, or just like this. Yeah. It's just like Some, this. Something just like it's this. It's something just like this yeah. by the Chainsmokers featuring Coldplay. Yes. So, the Chainsmokers, um, they have an, an interesting, um, status in the music world. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that either love them or hate them. Yeah. But that's, the, the, their thing is that they're collaborators. They're okay. kind of not people that make stuff themselves they work with a lot of different artists but Mm -hmm. this song um was really actually probably the biggest song that coldplay ever did this like wait this crossed like a billion listens on spotify like this was a massive song this came out around the same time that head full of dreams did a couple years ago this was a monster sized song and this song has a pretty personal attachment to me because when my first son was born um he had a lot of trouble going to sleep Mm -hmm. and one of the things we found is Coldplay was a soother for him specifically (laughs) this song this was a song that we would hold him and we would dance around with him and when this song came on he would just fall asleep it was so sweet and um uh, my mom would watch him a lot while me and my wife worked, and she was the one that came across this this little trick. And so not long ago, he was at my mom's house, and he said, Jack Jack, which was her name, I want you to play something just like this. And hold me like when I was a baby. And it was just like tears. <laughs> wow. So we listened to the song a lot because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to get him to fall asleep and take a nap. Mm-hmm. So, um, I really have a, probably, a, I would not like this song near as much had I not had this connection. But, I mean, it's a, you know, the lyrics are pretty cool. It's It's got a nice reserved melody to it. It's I mean, it's Chris Martin. He writes incredible melodies. And it's easy to see why this song got so big. It's got kind of that modern production to it that the chain smokers brought to the equation you know bringing in the synths and, mm-hmm. and some, all that some real synth production that i can't explain mm-hmm. <laughs> with automation that's kind of their signature sound so um i will say i'm not a fan of super heavy synthesizers in this way mm-hmm. i'm really much more of a fan of the jordan rudis type synthesizers and the, <laughs> and the van halen type synthesizers uh-huh. um a lot of this the cross-processed with the kick drum stuff, not my not my deal. Mm-hmm. But they still do employ a great melody, a great four, five, six minor chord progression, and Chris Martin's voice on this really soars. Yes, it does. And there's something to be said about that. Even though I really don't like the song, I don't think it'll make it into my listener's catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. Yeah, I gotta know, give it that. I do know a lot of people listening are 
gonna connect with this song because I mean, sure. again, the numbers don't lie. This song numbers was, don't lie. This song was insanely big. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, that's what I expect from something like this. Ah! 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 Oh man! Thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I saw an opportunity and I took it. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and go into final thoughts. So you were not, again, you were not around for Coldplay Volume 1. So was this not. was kind of your f- first well, it's foray the, into Coldplay. It's the same way with Pink Floyd, even though I understood Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I had heard all the songs on that, well, most of the songs on that episode before. I had not heard any of the songs from today's episode and remembered them. That's not to say I hadn't heard them. I'm sure they were probably on the radio at some point, but um, considering they are like one of the biggest bands mm-hmm. ever. So tell me how um, you feel about Coldplay now. How do I feel about this Coldplay process? now? I feel like if I wanted to listen to more Coldplay, I would want to go all the way through Rush of Blood to the Head. Um, I may or may not end up listening to that within the next week. Um, I would recommend Viva La Vida I, too. I did listen to all the albums that I wanted to after the Dream Theater episode, so um, maybe I just need to get in the habit of, you know, picking an album at the end of every episode. Say I want to listen. Rush to of Blood it, is the best but, place to start, but it's, um, the, it's their best album. So, if if I were to want to listen more Coldplay, I'd definitely go there. Um, I appreciate their sound engineering. Whoever their sound guy is knows what he's doing. Um, Chris Martin's voice is great, and the other instrumentalists can write very simple, good parts. Mm-hmm. And even though they're not the most technical or the most showy stuff, it's good. I think it's good for musicians to listen to music that has that balance, mm-hmm. to where you know it's good for us as musicians to have those people we listen to that are really technical because it's, you know, when we are copying that, it, it helps us to hone our craft. Right. But at the same time, we've got to also have music around us that's simple because... Then we can focus on sound. Uh-huh. And just, on, yeah. and just learning when to not play because that's sometimes just as important as when to play. Right. It's the notes that you don't play sometimes that make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the thing that I find with people that just listen to the most insane, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone, I'll listen to some intensely technical music, but I usually also will counteract that with very simple, well-made music. And that's something that as I've gotten older, I've been appreciating more and more. Mm -hmm. So, my love of Coldplay has gone up. I've... Again, like I said, I've kind of fallen back in love with them because I was out of love with them wow. for a while. At the time that I made the first episode. There was a with them. Man. Ah, <laughs> man, you're really getting me with that. Um, <laughs> when I made the first Coldplay episode, I was kind of out, in love with, out of love with them. Really? Because, again, I was just... Because you thought they were done. Yeah, and I just I didn't like the last couple albums. and But first off, with hearing the new album and then going back, Back and listening to all their stuff again, finding out a bunch of stuff I didn't know. Like the flame has been rekindled, and that's like the best thing that can happen with a volume two is to just rediscover why I love this band, mm-hmm. and then have that love deepen, which it absolutely has. Okay, so that's where I stand on that. Okay, 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, make sure to go check out all the other episodes we've done. We've been doing this for over a year now, so we've got quite a few episodes to go back and look. See um, if your favorites have been covered already, or if you see some bands that you're like, I've never heard of them. Give them a shot. I've talked to a couple of people that have done that. and uh, Discovered some new favorites? Yeah. I had a That's friend good. of mine that had no idea who Blondie was. Wow. And turned on the Blondie episode, and they're just like, oh, yeah, now I'm a Blondie fan. Wow. Fan. Blondie fan. <laughs> Blondie fan. <laughs> Um, go check out our YouTube channel. Um, we've got a cover of Yes on there, as well as you'll find the, the previous covers we've done with Paranoid, Monkey Ranch, Surrender, and As I Am. We'll have a new one ready next Monday at the same time that our new episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so also make sure that you uh, tune in. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening, because then it'll notify you. Whenever a new episode is available. Yes. But just in case you're wondering when that is, it's every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Next week, we are going to be keeping things more smooth and uh, restrained and poppy, but in a very different way. And I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to talk about it. Won't stay that way forever. No, it won't. But uh, uh, we're going to live in that world just a little bit longer. I think it's nice to just maybe not immediately switch to polar opposites all the time. So I'm, I'm excited for the next episode. It's another artist that I've not really gotten into at all. So we'll have some more interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. But it'll be a part one. So Yes. Um, check us out on social media, our Instagram and Facebook pages. We've got all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, like I said, hit the subscribe button. But also leave us a comment. Let us know what artists you want us to hear do. Uh, no, you want to hear us do. <laughs> Golly. It's been a long day, guys. We've already recovered. We've already covered two songs today. Yeah. So I'm ready to go home and take uh, a good rest. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. And also, go check us out on Patreon. Become a patron. We're gonna give shout outs to um, people that join uh, the community there. Mm-hmm. You'll get exclusive content. You're gonna get episodes early and starting in a couple weeks, two weeks. We're going to have an extra cover song you can only find on Patreon. Yes. So, um, I'm not forgetting anything, am I? I don't think so. No? It's okay. a volume two. I yeah. mean, they, they've already Oh, yeah, go listen one. to the songs. Episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, the description of the episode has the link to the playlist. Yep. So, yeah, now that is it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs>